You're listening to Post Perspectives Meet the Artist podcast, sponsored by Puget Systems. Hi, I'm Randy Altman with Post Perspective, and welcome to another episode of our Meet the Artist podcast. For this installment, we spoke to Jason Zimmerman and Brian Tatoski, who headed up the visual effects team on Paramount Plus's Picard. Enjoy. Hi, we're here with Jason and Brian, uh, the VFX, some of the VFX team from Picard. And uh, before we before we jump into that show, which is fantastic and I love, we um, I'd like to find out a little bit about your backgrounds, how you what, your path to VFX, um, how it all began, what inspired you, and um, let's go alphabetically. Brian, um, how about you start? Uh, yeah, so um, my parents uh, watched Star Trek, so I got into science fiction at a very early age. Um, you know, I love Star Wars. I wanted to learn everything that there was to how they made it. You know, reading behind the scenes book that they wrote on Empire Strikes Back, uh, gobbling up everything that they could. You know, I learned video production in high school, actually, and uh, followed through in college learning about, um, you know, new advances that there was now digital effects. You could do stuff on the computer. So I followed up into that and learning stuff on my own while I was doing video production jobs. Uh, eventually landed at Rhythm and Hues for 15 years, where I spent time in the commercial department and the features department and everything in between working on that and, you know, just furthered into the field from there. Okay. Jason, how about your path? Uh, similar path. I mean, from an early age, obviously, Star Wars, Star Trek caught my attention as a kid. And then uh, growing up, movies were super important to my family. So we watched every weekend. That was what we did. And it was not just science fiction, but all sorts of things. And I always just sort of loved and was drawn to the science fiction of it all. Uh, and then when I was 16, I actually had a moment sitting in the theater watching Jurassic Park. And I said, this is what I want to do. Uh, so I found a degree that was called video film art at the time. It wasn't even visual effects. And so I went into that um, and got my first sort of internship unpaid out of college. And I've been doing this job ever since. So did you guys start with learning the software and the tools used for visual effects? Or was it more, um, you know, watching other people first and then developing those skills? I mean, it's kind of a... Uh little bit of both i mean my background was actually in video production and editing so you know i did a lot of practical shooting of things and you know at the time a lot of the tools were sort of new and coming out at least for the digital part so it was one of those things where i'd spend evenings making little spaceships and making little flying logos and things like that to learn and daytime was actual production time but you know it's one of those things that i want to gobble up any sort of information for whatever so any opportunity to learn either hands-on or through classes or whatever was something that i was just um after um so what about what about going on set as visual effects supervisor and 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 learning the right ways to be shooting stuff and the wrong ways to be shooting stuff and working with green screen can you talk a little bit about that yeah, um, you know, it, it starts when you're part of a crew, like a commercial crew doing visual effects, and somebody says, oh, we need an extra person, and you go to set, and, you know, you you kind of get dropped into the world, and you start to help somebody else out by taking measurements and just being their 
you know, their gopher person running around and get, get a feel for how set works and the dynamics and the first AD and all that sort of thing. And, you know, it's like everything else. It's accumulated experience over time where you just learn those bits and you, you know, when you're working on set, you're, you're kind of making your own meal that you're going to eat later. So when you shoot that stuff and then you bring it back in and you have to composite it, you realize, oh, well, I should have done this or this actually worked out okay. Oh, I made this disaster for myself because then you're the person that actually has to put it together. You learn very quickly what can work and what doesn't work. And you also get a good sense of realizing with all the things that do happen on set, maybe you give the people that are shooting the things on set a little more of a break than you would otherwise when you're sitting there as a compositor thinking, why didn't they do this right? You see all the reasons why. It's a... It's really tough and time-consuming on set, and everything is go, go, go all the time. Yeah, I mean, to, to Brian's point, we both have a compositing background. That's where I started. That's where he started. And I think f from compositing, you get a really good sense of, like, everything that goes into the process because you deal with the other departments within, you know, CG and match move and roto and all that stuff. But then you're also responsible for the final product. And so when you're working on a shot, you start to, like Brian said, sort of ask the questions, why was it shot this way? Why does it not look the way we would like it to look or any of those sorts of things? And so I think there's a little bit of a learning that happens just from doing the shots. Um, and then, you know, for me, kind of the same experience, you just sort of start to get, you know, invited to set every once in a while to cover for somebody who can't make it. And then you start to learn the sort of the set dynamics of things. So it's it's definitely a, a learning experience and a learning curve. And the only way you can learn is sort of by doing it and by doing the shots. That makes sense. Now, so what about in Picard? Uh, were you guys on set? Uh, was also was some of it virtual production? No, no virtual production. Brian was on set. I was on set for a lot of season one. Um, I sort of oversee all of the Trek shows for for Paramount Plus. Um, so I helped sort of set that one up, and then we were you know fortunate enough to to grab Brian, and he came in. And so for season two and season three, he was more. Uh, the day-to-day -day on set guy. Also, by the way, we did it during pandemic. So that was sort of a different, you know, set of challenges and a lot more strict in terms of how many people could be on set and where and all that. But I think, you know, Brian can talk to that a little bit more, but that's sort of the base setup. Yeah, Jason, and, you know, for better or worse, because he's in charge of all the Star Trek shows, is extremely busy. So, you know, he's there every time something super important is happening on set, but also it's a big draw on his constantly used time plus the COVID of it all you know that you have to test a certain amount in advance before you're allowed on set there's different groups of people who are allowed in different areas depending on how often they test and how up-to-date their testing is so it was a really rigorous process especially on Picard season two and three that kept us all extremely safe and kept the the production running you know extremely smoothly but it also did limit the availability of people to come in on set without a lot of proper like early scheduling and early advance notice so you know so i was the day-to-day -day person that was there every day for you know all the practical shooting plus you know doing meetings and that sort of thing that i would take on set just to uh, get the future episodes going as we're shooting the current ones Makes sense. Now, how many visual effect shots were you guys averaging per episode, even just for season three? I think it's a 
around 150 to 200 an episode would be our average. You know, that's it's probably 150 or so of actual visual effects type of things that you may notice. And then I would say maybe around 50 of where you get into fixes and where you get into beauty work and you get into some of that stuff that DI also assists with and just, you know, smoothing out makeup things and, and, you know, uh, fixing little production stuff that may be in the background of a shot and stuff like that. Right. Now, so Picard is part of Star Trek Next Generation. It's fairly iconic. The visual effects, how did how did you guys tackle those with like sort of giving a nod to the old series, but also making this series its own in terms of visual effects? How much so how much um, how much did you take from before and how did you bump it up? What's new? Uh, I mean, you know, with Trek, you have such an incredible library of previous iterations of the show, previous effects, you know, previous versions of ships, all those sorts of things. So you have to, especially because Brian and I both do, you know, work on all the different shows. And so I think you definitely have to start by looking at what came before you. If it's anything that's attached to canon, you have to, to make sure that you're honoring what came before, not just from a visual standpoint, but also, you know, or is it is it in keeping with what the fans are expecting, you know, a lot of these things for the fans are very much beloved, you know? Um, and so it's important to, to start by looking at Canon and, and looking in the past to see how things have been done. And in this season, and Brian can sort of drill down on this a little bit more, but season three of Picard, there was uh, a desire to definitely pay homage and, and reference as much as we could. Some of the things that had come before us on next gen. In fact, there were areas where we used, almost the exact same effect without even updating it to make sure that it was sort of true uh, to the vision. And that that's a credit to Terry, our, our showrunner as well, because that was something that was really important to him. Um, but, you know, at the same time, we do have new tools and, you know, technology, you know, I don't know if it's like doubles in speed every six months or whatever the, the saying is, but, um, you know, we're very lucky to have all of those technological advances. And so we do try to apply, you know, those things and update them as much as we can while still sort of staying true to the original uh, intent of the work. Yeah, I mean, I think Jason nailed it right there. It's like, you know, Terry is the EP, had a clear idea for the storyline of the show, for the look of the show, the fact that he's a, you know, a big fan of those original Star Trek movies and that influenced his ideas on the type of Star Trek that he wanted to show on the screen. So, you know, all the dialogue was sort of between visual effects and the producers were, were about that visual look and wanting things to look in that sort of cinematic format. So it was our job to take that cinematic language and that cinematic look but then update it to what people expect in 2023 as far as, you know, resolution and quality and, and, and plussing it further from that established sort of cinema language. And that was a lot of fun to do because it was kind of the best of worlds and the fact that we take this really cool stuff that we loved as a kid, but it's like, how do we push that forward and make it look even more interesting and make it, serve the storyline, which is always the most important part, but how do we push it further? So there was a lot of that sort of the phasers, the transporters, the stuff like that, the ships, obviously, but this season had a lot of new things like the changelings. And there was, of course, the Borg 
Cube and and then the museum of all the spaceships. So if you had to look back, what do you what was the most difficult or most challenging or or a scene that you were most um, proud of from this season? Brian, you want to go first? <laughs> I mean, there, there's a bunch of stuff. It's it was fun to update the changelings and make this new version of them because they're not the normal changelings from before because they've been experimented on. So it was fun to come up with this little more horrifying look of, of sort of organs and muscle look that it had, which was kind of gross and, and goopy as they're moving around. Um, that was really fun to experiment with, like I said, how far we could push that kind of gooey look but still have touches of that gold color and still have touches of the, you know, the, the changeling feel that we expect, but we've obviously pushed it a lot farther. Um, that was really enjoyable to work on, but also I enjoyed working with some of the, you know, the classic feel of doing these cinematic ships where we could really show them off and show off the scale of the ships and kind of have them move like we expect these big ships to move, but also push the most dynamic camera moves that we can do, the most dynamic staging of the ships that we can do so that we could just, you know, take all the things that are cool about Trek right now, but also honor all the original, you know, cinematic looks and stuff at the same time. Uh, That I think is so much fun to be able to do. Yeah, I agree. I think, you know, it's every show, every Trek show is a challenge because there's, you know, they're very, very unique to to each particular show. But the the most fun, I think, and also the most terrifying is the legacy stuff. It's the, you know, when you see the Enterprise again or you see the Borg Cube again, because you know it's going to be scrutinized like probably nothing else in sci-fi because of, you know, the fan base and, um, you know, just the importance of Star Trek. And so I think it's, you know, when you read the script, you first go, oh my God, I get to play with the Enterprise. And you go, oh God, I got to do the Enterprise. And then you realize like, I got to make this great and it's got to look as good as, you know, anything anybody's ever seen. But at the same time, it's got to, you know, fill that sort of nostalgia box and make sure that everybody is, you know, loves the way that it looks and you haven't departed too far from, you know, what the original is. So I think, you know, the museum, seeing all those cool ships, the board cube is always fun to work with it's a gigantic asset it's a gigantic thing to film um but yeah i think the legacy ships every time we get to play with something new that's from the past of trek is is very exciting do you guys do you guys work with a bunch of different vfx vendors uh if so want to name some we do yeah um off the top of my head, Ghost, uh, both in LA and Denmark, uh, Outpost, Barnstorm, Crafty Apes, who am I missing, Brian? Storm. Storm. We love Storm yeah. as well. And we have, these are a lot, like we use these vendors for all of our shows because we've developed relationships over the years and they've sort of grown in terms of how they know how to, you know, address our shots and everything. So it's it's definitely been a partnership and, uh, you know, each iteration and each episode of the show gets a little bit better because of our relationships with them, so. Yeah, it's fun because, you know, we do have a lot of shortcuts with them. And once they sort of understand the visual style of this particular show, because each show is a little different from each other as does sort of, you know, essentially the looks of them, once they get that down and they just produce incredible work for us. And and the fun thing with the vendors is, you know, Star Trek has always been a very, very important show for visual effects, both in features and in television. 
Um, so everybody's extremely passionate about working on the show. It's, you know, we don't ever have to convince them to do their best. I mean, everybody that, you know, every artist around the world that works on this grew up on Trek, just like we did, loves Trek, knows a lot of the canon like we do. And so it's, it's really like this fun collaboration because everybody is so invested creatively in making the best version of every shot that they can. Yeah. I mean, we really want them to collaborate with us and we want to use their expertise and their knowledge because you know it's really only by working together do we get the best work that we can so we're always open to their suggestions and their ideas of you know like why don't we do this or why don't we move the ship this way or add this light here or what if the change link could do this and you know the net result is that we get you know amazing things that sometimes we wouldn't even think were possible Picard is over, but you have other Star Trek shows that you're working on. Do you do you save? I mean, assets from Picard? Do you use it for others and vice versa, saving yourselves a little bit of a little bit of time and, and work? Yeah, I mean, we have a big library now. So we've done since Discovery was the first one that sort of reintroduced Trek into television. Uh, since then, uh, the team and I have done probably ten seasons of Star Trek, all in between all the different shows between Discovery, Strange New Worlds, the shorts, all those, you know, Picard. So we have a really big library that we draw on for many different things, um, you know, depending on what the shots need. But it, you, you, you build that up, and then when you need something, you may not need to build things from scratch. So we're fortunately building a great sort of legacy library for all the things that will come next. Yeah, we, just, uh, we just spend a lot of time making sure that the right ship goes with the right time period. And... Um, you know, we we are always thinking of canon in the back of our head and because we've inherited this giant legacy of an amazing universe and we just want to make sure to do right by it. It's fantastic. Before I let you guys go, what what's next? What do you see happening next in terms of visual effects in general and in terms of these shows? Anything that you could talk about? Oh, well... Visual effects in general, I mean, we're obviously virtual productions having a moment. That's not going to go anywhere. I think that's just going to get more and more commonplace. Um, you know, it's it's a really fun time to be in visual effects because there is so much good work out there, not just, you know, our shows. Of course, we're partial to that, but uh, there's a lot of great work on there right now. And so it's it's fun for me as a fan of just visual effects in general to look around and see what our peers are doing because everybody's doing such great work. and. You know, the, the, the visual effects of television have come so far that, you know, we're very, very fortunate to live in a time where it's it's basically sort of indistinguishable from features at this point if you get the right show. Um, so, you know, we cheer on our peers. We watch the other shows. We love what's happening. And there's just so much content for us to see there, which is really, really nice to, to, to be a part of. Um, you know, and then what's next for us? I mean, there's, there's a plan for Trek for the foreseeable future. And, you know, it's... Section 31 obviously is coming up, uh, you know, in, in addition to other shows and, you know, Strange New Worlds will be cranking up here pretty soon. So, you know, we've got a we, we've got a lot of um, we've got a lot of fun content and everything's a little bit different. It's not, you know, cookie cutter. Everything has its own personality. Every show kind of has its own tone. And so we're really we're really excited in the sense that it's not the same thing every day for us. It really is a challenge each and every day to do something unique and different. So we're very happy for that. Yeah, I mean, with Prodigy and Lower Decks and our shows, I mean, it's it's never been a better time to be a Star Trek fan. And there's 
never been more Star Trek for you in particular and whatever that you is that you like. There's there's Star Trek out there for you, and that's pretty awesome. Jason, Brian, thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Of course. Thank you for listening to Post Perspectives Meet the Artist podcast, sponsored by Puget Systems. For more information, please visit pugetsystems.com.